0: I'm so thankful for you joining us this week for our online teaching. Today, we're going to jump right into our study of the book of James, but let's pray first. God, we come to you. We thank you for this incredibly practical, uh, very deliberate um, book of the Bible um, that gives so much practical insight into some of the most difficult things that we walk through in this life. I pray that as we walk through this, God, it would be honoring to you that it would examine us as we examine your word. Thank you, God, that we do have the gift to of technology to be able to put this into the homes and into the lives of those that are listening in various places today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take a minute and welcome you to week two of our study of the book of James. If you were not with us last Sunday, then let me challenge you to when you are in person or come by the office to grab one of these ESV journals out in the lobby or again by calling the office. It's a journal that includes the five chapters of the book of James and then simply some journal pages with it. There's no cost to these uh, for you, but you do not also, you don't have to have one of these to participate in the study, which we will be in until Thanksgiving. The challenge for last Sunday was to take a journal or your Bible, or however you read God's Word, read one chapter at a time per day. So Monday, one. Tuesday, two. And then to begin to ask God to reveal to you, to speak to you through His Word, and then be prepared to walk into His Word this week together. But don't worry. If you were not here last week, and you wonder if you're already going to be too far behind to catch up with us, we only made it through James 1.1, 1, 1, one verse. And here it is. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Our message last Sunday centered around the realization that each of us go into our daily lives carrying titles with us. These titles are simple yet powerful. Mom, dad, grandparent, co-worker, the list goes on. But what we pulled out of this first verse of James was that the title that James could have chosen, he could have chosen the title which he was, the younger half-brother of Jesus. But that wasn't the title he chose in his introduction, in his welcome. Instead, he chose the title, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This title is one of humility. It's one of loyalty one of obedience, but also one that every person who trusts in Jesus Christ can share, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Early on Monday morning, someone sent me a text who had been with us in worship last Sunday, and they said that their spiritual goal for this past week was to live each day thinking and practicing I want to know my audience and project what the Lord would want my title to be. What this person meant was, if I stand in front of a family grieving a difficult medical diagnosis, then I would ask that God would allow me to serve them and give them the guidance they need in their decisions. Or it could mean if I sit in front of an individual and they begin to share a struggle about their faith or a relationship that God would allow me to be someone that would listen to them, but also offer godly counsel and wisdom. Maybe for another person it might be standing in front of, their audience is a group of high school students. Maybe you teach five days a week. May God give you a spirit of humility to lead them through the lasting impact of all the things that are taking place in our world upon their lives whatever the audience, whatever the age, if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we should be striving to be called a servant of God. Essentially, James was doing this very thing. He identified himself as a Jewish Christian living in a time period where Jewish people were being forced to the edges of society wherever they landed in the world. But if you're a Christ-following Jew, Then that would lead you to be being ostracized by your people of heritage, the Jewish people, but also whatever culture you were in because you were a follower of Jesus. James was speaking not out of simple head knowledge to Christ followers who've been dispersed or scattered like seed. He wasn't speaking just out of head knowledge, but out of experience. He's not writing from a, possession, a position of being excluded from persecution or trials or difficulties. He is in the thick of it with these people. You see, James had doubted Jesus. He came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, following Jesus. And he, at the time of this writing, was now a leader in the church of Jerusalem, considered by others to be a man of wisdom. But he's also writing this letter to people just like him, who were facing difficult circumstances as individuals, as families, and as entire communities of people. And this is where we are in our world. Yes, the circumstances are radically different for us today than from AD 45 or 50, but there are some similarities which are becoming a part of our daily lives. Circumstances are stressful in almost every arena of life. Tensions seem to come out of the most unexpected places or relationships, and exhaustion is very tangible on a daily basis. But James is going to contend that it is in these moments, moments where faith is being tried and tested, that we discover depth, maturity in our walk with Jesus. Last week, I summarized this thought with a very non-polished preacher question, but one I hoped that we could identify with. When our faith is being squeezed, what comes out? When our faith is being squeezed, what comes out? This is ultimately an idea that we will continue to re-examine every week as we walk through this study of James. When our faith is being tested and squeezed, When we face trials, what comes out of us? When faced with favoritism or wealth, what comes out? When pursuing patience and the things that go the opposite direction that we had planned or hoped, what comes out? Anger, joy, patience, kindness, sarcasm, bitterness, resentment, compassion, sympathy, or simply ignoring the needs of those around us? When our faith is being squeezed, What comes out of us? It is so important as we walk through this book that you don't run away from it because it's practical and it's straightforward. Last week, I mistakenly said that James is gonna leave you feeling beat up. But I was reminded by one of our staff members, the reality of James is this. James is not writing this letter. It's not written to beat us up but to grow us up. Every examination he's going to make about our character, about our values, about our relationship to Christ, about our relationship to others is going to push us to grow up into maturity. So keep that in thought. Keep that thought in your mind as we read. He's not trying to trivialize your trauma and your trials in the lives of you or his readers, he's challenging them, he's challenging us to examine what do we value? What do we cherish? And how can they, how can we become more like Christ in our community? And that's the very reason we're diving into this study. I'm not presenting this book to beat you up, but to grow us up, why? So that we can impact our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that as our introduction, let's step into part of our text for today. Verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. I want you to step into that phrase with me for just a couple of moments. I want to ask you something. I, I, I want to guide you into this phrase Count it all joy. Remember, this is a command to lead to maturity. He is not mocking the people of their trials. He's not acting as if their trials are easy or light. James is not pretending that their trials are going to disappear. James is also speaking to Jewish Christians and he has an expectation of their desire to grow in maturity. Please listen to me. Count it all joy is not a phrase to be tossed into a text thread or social media when someone you know, someone you have a relationship with is going through great turmoil and we feel like we just need to say, count it all joy. It must be delivered in context of these verses. What I mean by this is, count it all joy is not the entire thought from our teacher, James. He doesn't say, count it all joy and walk away. He continues to say, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Count it. Consider it. This verb is an imperative command from James to the reader. Why? Because our human response to difficulty, it's not joy. Counting it, considering it, is not an emotionally driven action. It's not a reaction based on feelings. It's not fake. It's not conjured up. Instead, this joy, this rejoicing and gladness is based on trust and a promised outcome. Joy is not a manufactured emotion. Joy is not a manufactured emotion, but it is a deliberate attitude that is built on a promised outcome. Now, let's break that down a little bit. There's a promised outcome from God in his word given to us through James about joy. It's what completes this phrase, count it all joy. It moves us away from thinking James is out of his mind into James wants to mature us even in the hardest hitting moments. What is the promised outcome that holds this joy afloat? I'm glad you ask. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Three important words and parts of this statement. When in the book of James, in his words, we are adopting the idea that trials are expected. They are not a surprise. We are also seeing trials here. They're a test, they're a hardship, they're a tension, they're a struggle but also they are of various kinds. Quite literally, trials come in all shapes and sizes at various times in a a myriad of moments. They're not on your calendar. They're not planned for. You don't stare them in the face and think, well, this will be fun. No, they're trials. They will be difficult. Thus the name trials and troubles. But these trials have a promised outcome. They have a value to our lives. They are important in your maturity. I love this quote from Warren Wiersbe. He says, our values determine our evaluation. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will only upset us. If we value material and physical possessions more than spiritual maturity, we will not be able to count it all joy. And if we only live for the present and forget about the future, the trials will make us bitter, not better. Count it all joy when you meet trials of all shapes and sizes. Verse 3 says, For you know, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials are a test. Test and trials are both examinations of whether or not something is genuine or true. Both are asking of the person and their faith. Will it persevere? Will it be patient? Will it be steadfast? Will it endure? We do not know if our faith is genuine until it stands up under a test. If you were to buy a new umbrella and you place it in your car. You carry it around for weeks, and it drizzles, but you don't want to bother with it. Then a week such as this past one comes, and when it rains, it pours. And then when it really starts to rain, then it rains a little bit more. But do you know when you know if your umbrella works? When you open it up on a Wednesday morning, you're on your way to work, it's early, it's 6.30, the sun is not coming out and it's pouring down rain and you're carrying your backpack, your coffee, your briefcase, whatever you carry, your water, some important papers in your hand and you're juggling your cell phone. If you make it to the car and if you're dry and the wind has not taken your umbrella and flipped it inside out, then you know that this umbrella works because it's been tested and tried that you have an umbrella that's worth keeping. It's easy to proclaim, I trust in God or I believe in God. Scripture says anybody can say that. But the test of your faith, of our faith, is when we really choose to trust God in a severe trial. And afterwards, you know that your faith is genuine because it brought you through the trial. Your trust in God is sincere. But the point is, when you're faced with a trial, you have a choice. Will I trust God and the promises of His Word as I have proclaimed I do, or not? To trust God to experience His hope and joy in the midst of trials is a radical attitude that James commands us to adopt and take. But don't lose focus. He's not trying to beat you up. He's not trying to make light of your trials. He's not trying to just toss a catchphrase. He's growing us up in God's promises. And his desired outcome for you and for us continues in verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness. Also another translation, endurance, perseverance. At times it's even translated patience. But know this, this word implies character development through the testing. This is an inner strength which increases each time a trial is endured. I was reminded in my preparation for today that spiritual maturity that James is referencing is a process, not instant perfection. The word perfect does not have the same implication it has for me and you in our world. Perfect in our minds is, well, Perfect. A definition is having all the required or desirable elements, qualities, or characteristics. Perfect. James here is meaning complete, lacking in nothing. Newsflash. You will never, on this side of heaven, enter a moment in your life when you are perfect. Because when you think you're perfect, then your imperfection is being highlighted by pride and you're no longer perfect. James is not trying to beat anyone up. He's trying to grow them up. Grow them that these trials, they will equip you. They will mature you. They will prepare you for God's purpose in your life. This preparation is a test. Are you genuine? Are you authentic? Are you trusting the character and the promises of God? So let's start to put this all together, remembering that joy is not a manufactured emotion in the moment, but it is a deliberate attitude built on the promised outcome that Scripture gives us. It produces endurance and maturity, but also believing that James is not trying to make light of your difficulties. You're very real, very frequent very unplanned, very unexpected trials. But he's trying to lead us to maturity. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. But what? What if all this is too hard to grasp? What if I don't have the spiritual maturity to hang on and deliberately find joy? What if I'm confused around the situation? What if it doesn't make sense? What if I am beat up? What if I am beat down? What if I am not growing up? Have no fear. James has a table still set for you to pull up a chair, to his next instruction that's still a part of verse two and moving this idea through. His next training session of our Christ-following character, he's expecting you and me to need something else. Something else by which to make sense of all that's sinful, all that's broken in this world. Verse 5 tells us what he has for us. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you see, if any of you can't quite figure out verse 2 through 4 and how to move in maturity, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If I can, I want to state something here that James... Is going to continue to do throughout this book. James is presenting to us that one pursuit of life towards maturity leads in direction, leads towards maturity in life. The other is immaturity, spiritual, emotional, death. We don't wake up one day and have all the answers. We don't wake up and smile our way through pain and pretend. That's not joy. Joy is birthed out of the pain, through the endurance. It is accompanied by a wonderful friend and gift from God, according to these verses, wisdom. As I've shared before, I am not a professional appliance repairman. But every time I go to repair something, I discover a new tool that I need for the project. If I'm working on an electrical socket, I need one of those little gauge things. I don't know the name, but... I need it so I don't send myself onto another planet. Or if I'm working on a pipe plumbing, then I need a pipe wrench. For you non-repair people, that's a big wrench that's used for pipes. I have one you can use. I don't need it very often. I've also got some of that plumber's putty. The reality is I don't need any of those very often. They sit on a shelf, in a toolbox, but if I ever need them, I I might know where to still find them. As we walk through James, he's putting together a toolbox of maturity for our lives. Things that we need often, joy, endurance, trials that develop wisdom. And wisdom is not something you might need. It, it's not something that you might decide to pull out in a panic. No, wisdom is a tool for us to depend upon for clarity of the trials, for understanding in the decision and repairing relationships and whatever else comes our way. So how does he advise us to ask for wisdom? He says, go for it. 100%. Depend upon it. Lean upon it. Chuck Swindoll defined wisdom this way. He said, wisdom is the ability to view life from God's perspective. Wisdom and its answer for us may be as gut-wrenching as, God, I am in turmoil. God, give me wisdom to see this, to understand this from your viewpoint. Give me faith to not give up. Wisdom is claiming God's promise in the middle of our doubts. You see, wisdom takes and it turns why me into, so how do I navigate this trial? How can this bring me into maturity? How can this help someone else? How can this grow me? To obtain wisdom, to endure trials joyfully, to see our needs, to know our God, then... Ask Him in faith to meet your need. Wisdom is turning to the practical words of Scripture, such as the Proverbs or a book like James, and see that the most often given response to maturity of wisdom is practically living in obedience. After all, God is a God of wisdom. Proverbs 2.6, Proverbs 21, 30, 1 Corinthians 1.18-22. 1, His wisdom confounds the wisest of this world. And here in James, we must see the need. It's a part of and trust and know God then ask for faith to meet the need. What's amazing to me is where people will turn Where people will go, what length they will seek to find advice or guidance outside of Scripture, and then expect the results and the decisions made through foolishness to lead to perseverance and peace and joy. If you want godly wisdom, go to God's Word. If you want godly wisdom, go to godly people who will lead you to God's word. If you want godly wisdom, go to godly people who will lead you God's word and will desire for you to grow up, not beat you up. What a beautiful gift James is wanting to give to people that he loves, people that he knows, people of his background and his heritage that are going through trials. He knows their pain and he's not lightly saying, choose joy, but choose joy because you can trust the promises of God. Choose joy because He's growing you. Choose God because He's shaping you. Choose joy because He's preparing you. Choose God through wisdom to spiritual freedom and to life, not death. Now, I don't have time to explore verse 9 through 12 in great depth, but several of the themes in these verses will arise again in later chapters. But I want you to see two significant things. Remember, everything that James is addressing is leading us towards maturity or we're making choices away from that, leading us to spiritual death. James is trying to equip you to put the tools in the toolbox to face this world through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to read these verses and make sure you hear this guidance quickly from James Maturity to life or spiritual death. Verse nine, let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and let the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the man Rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Do you see where James is heading with spiritual immaturity? Yes, specifically with wealth there, which he'll deal with later again. But where does that immaturity lead to? Death, humiliation, perishing. Yes, we will all physically pass away, but the the spiritual lacking, the death, the immaturity, it's painful, it's humiliating, it's empty. But there is redemption even in the book of James. There is life, there is joy, there is promise. Verse 12 gives us that instruction. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Do you hear the difference from verse 9 through 11 to verse 12 here? Do you hear it? It's life. It's a promise. If in our trials we deliberately, emphatically choose joy and the promise of wisdom to get there, it leads to life. So in closing, may I ask you, where are you turning for wisdom? Are you deliberately choosing joy? Are you moving towards maturity and life or immaturity and death? Make no mistake about it. You're moving in one direction or the other. And James is not here to beat you up. He is here to grow you towards maturity and life, joy, hope, Endurance, wisdom. By faith, we can experience wisdom. By faith, we can experience joy. By faith, we can allow God to place the tools into our lives that produce everything we need for his glory in and through our lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the encouragement of these words for me this week. There have been trials and tribulations and difficulties even in getting to this point in the week. And so thank you that these verses have been fresh on my mind, on my heart. Thank you to know that James, the words he's given to his readers then, but James, the words, God, that you have kept for us until this day are here to say, yes, choose joy. But It's not a cliche, quick dropping phrase. It's a phrase built on a promise. It's a command built on a promise. Choose joy, why? Because it produces endurance. What does endurance do? It makes us complete, lacking in nothing. And if we still don't grasp it, if we still can't understand, James doesn't abandon us there. He says, let's pursue wisdom. 100% go for it. Ask without doubting. God, thank you that your word instructs us to choose joy, but it doesn't leave us there. It gives us a promise. It gives us a hope. May we deliberately seek your wisdom, leading us to endurance, leading us to growth, leading us to patience, leading us to maturity so that we can impact those around us. Help us grow towards life and maturity, not death and separation. In Jesus' name. Thank you guys so much for joining us in week two of James. We will see you next week as we talk about temptation in our lives.